So, I'm excited, I'm excited. Genesis 50, verse 20. It is, without a doubt, probably my favorite story uh, from the Bible. Uh, And it's one of the most incredible stories of redemption and restoration. And that's the... Hello, hello, sorry. There we go. Just checking if you're awake, Isaiah. Some of you looked up. All right, so, and that's the story of um, Joseph. And there's this beautiful moment where his brothers, after many years, realize who he is. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And he can hardly contain the emotion that he's carrying as he reveals himself. And it's such a powerful story because he can see the pain and the sorrow in their eyes. And the shame of having done what they did to Joseph. In their eyes. He literally can see their shame. And he takes a moment and he realizes, I am about to relieve them of that shame. I am about to set them free. And he goes and he cries uncontrollably around the corner as he realizes the power of what is about to happen. And God is God is still that good. He still has the power to set us free. And I see him looking at us and he's going, you're about to set free. You you just don't know what you're about to experience. You have no idea. It hasn't even entered your thought patterns yet. Can you imagine being Joseph's brother Reuben? Carrying that shame for years and suddenly Joseph reveals himself. Man, that is just one of them. It's just... I think in cinematic pictures and I, you know, the movie score playing in the background and it's like, just rich, just powerful, God's work at hand. And then Joseph says to them in, in Genesis 50, if you don't know where Genesis 50 is, it's the last chapter in Genesis, just a, just a, a, a hint there. Verse 20, he says, as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. In the New Living Translation, he says, He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And God is, really, there is a theme of salvation going this year, that God really wants to meet us in whatever situation we're in, and he wants to bring us salvation. Now, traditionally, the old view of salvation is I am free from the consequences of my sins. But in this church, salvation means I am free from the effects and the power of the world to act upon me. I am also free from the effects of the enemy. And so nothing can stand between God's promises for my life (laughs) and me actually getting there and receiving them and experiencing life. And so really Joseph is a picture of salvation because he went in and he brought physical salvation to nations and God placed him there. But there is a There is something that Joseph carried in his spirit that enabled him to be in his position. And God woke me up with the words, there is momentum in 
obedience. There is power in obedience. There is power in listening to the word of God and acting on the word of God. And so Joseph was, as you know, he was captured, put in prison uh, because of things that happened that weren't part of, you know, of, of he, it, weren't, it wasn't his fault. And so, yeah, Joseph finds himself in a foreign land, having been a slave, and now he has been promoted to prisoner. How many of you know that's just an, an awesome progression? Can I just see any one of you have any plans to become enslaved and then be promoted to prisoner? And that's his life story, really, at that moment. And um, obedience is, a lot of people think, when I said obedience, I saw some of you, your shoulders kind of went, eh, like, I, you know, I know obedience is good, but that means I've got to give up what I like. Like, we already dealt with that. We, God has given you your heart's desires and your plans. So what then is obedience? Obedience is not just to submit to God, but it's to, to live and in, in God's presence, to receive His full nature. And it's not to just carry out an instruction. So when we say obedience, we immediately think, well, if I just carried out these instructions, then I am obedient. But obedience is much deeper than that. It's a heart thing. So many times I'll say to people, why don't you rather catch my heart instead of do what I say? Because some people will do what you say without catching your heart. And so many Christians do what God says without catching God's heart. In the word obedience, there's a short word that's one of the first words you'll write down when you play boggle. It's be. <laughs> obedience means to be, not just to do. Obedience is much deeper than just doing. And that's how Joseph could be obedient as a slave and obedient as a prisoner. When he became a slave, he was promoted to master of the house. And then when he was in prison, he was promoted again to the highest position in the prison. And why is that? The reason is Joseph knew what it meant to be. Remember, he had dreams and he had visions. And those dreams and, his vi and those visions became his own. And he took hold of what God was implanting in his heart and in his spirit. And so they became his own. So God's nature has to become our nature. Someone say amen, right? God's nature has to become our nature. And when his nature becomes our nature, we find ourselves being. And we find ourselves always on the right side of obedience. Not struggling to do what God says, but living out of the fullness of his kingdom. That just is so much easier. It makes so much more sense. <laughs> That's why Jesus could look at the Pharisees and say, you search the scripture for life and you'll never find it because you don't know me. 
And then Jesus insults them even further. He says, you guys are just a bunch of whitewashed bones. How many of you would love Jesus to say that to you? (laughs) What would Jesus do? He would say, you're a bunch of whitewashed bones (laughs) without life, void of his spirit. That's what Jesus did do. So Jesus is calling us into a deeper, by the way, bless you, babes. Jesus is calling (laughs) into a, a deeper, deeper relationship with him where obedience happens because we be and not because we do okay so what happens to a lot of people is when they find themselves in an uncomfortable position like joseph did they become defeated and they take on the nature of the defeated and some people even like the nature of being defeated They whimper in the corner of their lives. Either they do that or they scratch out the eyes of everyone they know. How many of you know someone who whimps in the corner of their lives? Have you seen the the movies, you know, where they're going to set the scene in a prison? And now they're showing you what the prison is like and the camera pans sideways and goes past the first cell. And there's a guy curled up in his bed and his head is under his pillow sad music and then it pans past the next door and there's a guy at the bars and really those are the two kinds of people you get who 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 live in a defeated state and i want to ask you do you sometimes feel defeated and do you sometimes just want to whimper in the corner or do you sometimes just want to stab the dog or something (laughs) looking for a better description but really so often if we're not living in the presence of God and we take on a defeated mentality we're going to miss out on the calling of God and God doesn't want you to live defeated God doesn't want you to live down and out he he said go and take can you hear it dominion have you ever seen a bunch of defeated people Take dominion. (laughs) Has an angry person filled with rage ever taken dominion? They might take control for a moment, but they'll never have dominion. So God just wants to place a check on our hearts because really all of us have the ability to feel defeated sometimes. And all of us have the ability to feel victorious. And God doesn't want us to dwell in the defeated space. He wants us to dwell in the victorious space. That's why God can say, be slow to anger. But be quick to listen. A victorious person is sitting there going, oh, there's an answer. There's something that's coming my way. I don't have to fear losing control because I have dominion. Dominion is way above control. Control is always short-lived. And then it doesn't help just to complain and whimper. Remember we talk about being that guy at the briar. (laughs) The guy with the worst story. 
A testimony of hell. Can I put it that way? <laughs> God doesn't want us to be there. No, he, he wants us to live in dominion. Have a life of victory. Go to Psalm 119. I chose the longest psalm in the Bible so that we can read it together. See, Joseph had this mentality. David's writing here, but, but this is the mentality that Joseph had. This is the victor's mentality that Joseph had even in, in prison. In verse 57, it says, You are my portion. Can you say that with me? God, you are my portion. What does that mean? Oh, Christians love to say, that's my portion, or that's not my portion, or you're my portion. What does that mean? Can someone give me an idea? Anyone got an answer to that? It belongs to you. Yeah, but, but acne belongs to you. <laughs> you know? All right, what does it mean if we say God is my portion? What it means is we take a big God, and we put him in a little situation. Hello? In other words, every situation, every situation you're going through pales in comparison to the greatness of God, in comparison to his promise. So if you're going through a little bit of a difficult situation, your little situation doesn't even compare to the greatness of God. So when we say God is my portion, we replace the, the, the little situation with the greatness of God. We take the bigness of God and we bring him into the little situation. So, in the context of Joseph's life, was a 7 or 14 year stint in prison a big thing or a small thing? Small long thing, says my mom. <laughs> <laughs> in the context of the saving grace of God, the fact that millions and millions of people were saved through Joseph's wisdom, is being in prison a big thing or a small thing? It's a small thing. But when you're in prison, it feels very long. So I can guarantee, if you're in a prison situation right now, if you're in any situation that feels like it's taking your freedom away, robbing you of God's freedom for your life, it's small. Paul himself says the suffering pales in comparison <laughs> to the glory that comes from offering up my life for him. Now, offering up your life doesn't mean you're not going to be a king one day. Hello? Some people feel like if, if I offer up my life, I'm going to lose out. And, and God's saying, no, when you offer up your life, there is a release of his presence, of his glory on your life. There is a release of of momentum. I can tell you now, the times where I've really pressed in in obedience and said, God, I'm here. 
I'm going to do your will. I'm, I'm going to look at your presence. I'm going to look at your nature. When I've pressed in in those situations, the momentum that's come out of that is something I can't stop. God's, God brings people on our way. God brings finances on our way. God brings business deals on our way. Not me personally, but you, know, you get what I'm saying. He opens up doors. And that door, when it opens, it's an invitation to go. And so you get through that door and it's like, wow, <laughs> God is doing amazing things. And, and actually, this, this is going quickly. Joseph went from prisoner to Pharaoh's advisor, in other words, the president of the country in a flash. Hello? God opened up a door because of the wisdom that he carried. When he looked at the prophetic words, at the dreams, he saw God's nature. He said, there will be seven years of goodness. Then there will be seven years of famine. And he didn't say in those seven years of famine, let us mourn, let us wait it out, let us complain, let's blame climate change. No, they're not looking for things. You see, people in a defeat, with a defeatist nature are always looking for things to blame their problems on. Hello? People with a defeatist nature are always looking for something else to blame their problems on. People who have God's wisdom say, but here's the answer. This is how we're going to get through this. This is how we will experience salvation. That's a good word. Someone say, amen, that's good. So that's what it means to have God as our portion. I just want to page back to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, David also says in verse 5, he says, The Lord has chosen and assigned my portion. You hold and maintain my lot. The lines have fallen for me in good, pleasant places. What is a line? What are the lines that have fallen for us in good, pleasant places? Now, in Gauteng, we have this terrible habit of putting up barbed wire and electric fences on our lines. Someone say, Amen. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I've noticed. <laughs> and then you go to Cape Town, which is in the same country with a higher crime rate. And people park outside. There's no electric fences in the suburbs. It's a mindset. Now some of you are going, uh-uh, no ways. <laughs> but I want to draw a, a comparison to our spirits. So often we see our lines as the end of goodness. So we're sitting in our yards and it's all good until you get outside the fence. And so that's where we draw our lines. We draw a line to protect the goodness that's inside. But that's not how God works. And so in our spiritual lives, we, we put up fences on our health. Some of us, you know, our, our fence is the medication that we take. I'm not preaching against medication. I'm just speaking about the heart, that it's all good until 
Does that make sense? Some of our possessions are our lines. Some of us have put up a line on the job we have. If I lose this job, it's the end. Can't see beyond it. Maybe it's a business deal you're busy with. Maybe it's business partners you're currently working with. You've put all your hope and your safety in that. Maybe it's the flat or the house you're living in. Maybe it's even a relationship you're in. Maybe it's your salary. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's your pastor. And if that's not there, then life's not good. That's my line. And God flips it around and He says, Your lines have been drawn in pleasant places. Start to see beyond what you see in the physical. Start to look beyond what you hold in your hand. And start looking outside of that. Start to look at the impossible that God has for you. That you think is impossible. Get a room with a view. But don't just be focused on what's inside. See, God wants to increase your portion. I've told this story before, but you know, I, I gave up my life for two years to volunteer and minister at a church in Cape Town. That's how I know about parking in the street. And, and I'll never forget, you put all your energy into this youth ministry that you're volunteering in, you plan, you, you've got everything in place. And I arrive on a Friday night and no one pitches up. And there I sit and I'm like, God, you know, we, I'm, I'm, I'm at loss for words. I'm, I'm like, God, I've given up my life. And here I sit and I'm very alone on a Friday night. And God spoke to me that day and he said, your portion is bigger. I'm like, yes, thanks God. If one guy pitches, it's bigger. <laughs> but God spoke to me and said, don't look at the physical. Don't look at the place you're volunteering in now. Your calling is bigger. Not because my calling is bigger than that ministry but my calling is bigger than what I was looking at. My calling is bigger than what I could see in the physical. And so many people are just waiting to see in the physical before they actually receive their portion, before they actually receive the greatness of God. God is calling us to look beyond what we see in the physical. That's the heart of obedience. If you take comfort in just taking what you can see and putting it all together. and you've, That's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to see in the Spirit. Man, we were part of Hatfield Christian Church. That's where I grew up. And Wim George used to get up every week and say, I see in the Spirit. <laughs> and then you knew, yeah, came a word. <laughs> and everyone's ears went. Because Wim George was seeing in the Spirit. We've got to see in the Spirit.
Back to Psalm 119. It says, I entreat your favor with my whole heart. Can you say entreat? (laughs) Say it loudly. Entreat. Okay, what does it mean? Someone. I looked it up in the dictionary. It says it's an archaic word, I know, but we can use archaic, unfashionable, old words. What does entreat mean? Uh, nag. All right. You've got experience? <laughs> entreat is to plead, is to ask, is to, with all your heart. But, but I, I was thinking about this word, entreat. And I, I realized that shares some letters with the word entrance. Now, this is not in the dictionary, but it should be. Because <laughs> what happens when you open an entrance, when you open a door? You make a way. Right? So to entreat is to take on the nature of God. Will, will you make a way? Will, will, I'm, I'm going to ask you until the way opens. That's what it means. I am, like Jesus said, I will knock until you open. May we be equally knocking until it opens. Until the way opens. I'm not going to stop asking. Now listen to this. I'm not going to stop asking until I see your favor, until I experience it with my whole heart. That's what it means. God says, I will make a way when there seems to be no way. What is an entrepreneur? Okay, in the dictionary it says businessman. Pretty boring. But an entrepreneur shares the same letters with entrance and to entreat. A good entrepreneur makes a way where there seems to be no way. Hello? Have you ever met a good entrepreneur? Do you know? Is there maybe one? You know, Jono, not looking at you. <laughs> a good entrepreneur makes a way where there seems to be no way. They're not looking at, that's not possible, this isn't possible. They're going, it's possible. And you're going, you scare me. (laughs) But that's what they're doing. That's what energizes them. That's what their life is all about. We're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. We say that with regards to God. We go, God will make a way. but, But we look around us and we see there are people who are passionate about making a way where there seems to be no way and somehow they do it and you know what God wants all of us to make a way where there seems to be no way come on thanks Jono God wants all of us (laughs) to to, through the power of his presence be looking for the way where there seems I thought you guys are going to be so excited does that make you tired (laughs) Does this energize you? 
Are you defeated? Or are you living in victory? Say it with me. I'm living in victory. Verse 59, he says, I considered my ways. So now, this is what I'm asking you to do. Consider your ways. Look at your ways. Listen, isn't that amazing how that word way comes in there? Consider your ways. Just, Just for a moment, take time and think back on your life and your journey up to today. Right now, this moment, this second. And consider your ways. Consider them. Think about them. Have you been pressing in when life gets hard? Have you been stepping through? Have you been looking for the way when there seems to be no way? Do you want to repeat your past? Do you want to repeat the experiences you have? Or do you want to take something from those experiences and approach life in a whole new way? Do you want to see and experience God in a whole new way? Some of us are going, I like the God that I've known all along. But God is the same God yesterday, today, yes. But he wants to invite you into a deeper, different experience of his presence And he wants to invite you to walk through life with a whole new perspective and an outlook on life because you're energized by the presence and the power of God. So consider your ways. And it says, I turned my feet. So now he's considered his ways. He's looked at his ways. He's thought about them. And he makes a change. He says, I turned my feet To obey your testimonies. I made a change of direction. I made a change of heart. To obey. And listen to that. Your testimonies. I changed not just to obey his commandments. But I chose to obey his testimonies. His testimonies are stories of life. His testimonies are stories of the grace of God, of the mercy of God. His stories, they are stories of victory, of power, of courage, of obedience, of grace, of mercy, of love. Those are his stories. But they require of us a turning, a reaction to those stories. Those stories have no power until we respond to them and we say I want to have the same faith that Abraham had I want to have the same courage that David had it's chatting to our children just with regards to fear yesterday because you know as your kids become teenagers they suddenly get this like fear of things and like suddenly an awareness of you know like for 10 years, the kids have been riding in the car, not caring about, you know, you know people on the streets. And, and, and now suddenly they want to lock the doors. And, they're like, and I'm like, what's going on? And they just, there's something that awakens. And I'm, I'm speaking about fear. And I'm saying the difference between King Saul and King David is David had courage. He had the boldness to face the one man 
that an entire nation was afraid of. He had turned his feet to obey the testimony. He knew God will do it again. Then it says, I made haste and delayed not to keep your commandments. I want to tell you, there are times in our lives where when God speaks, we must act quickly. When God speaks, we've got to open that door and step in. Part of the defeated nature is to wait and 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 to wait. Can I say wait some more? I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm waiting for the right salary. I'm waiting for the right job. I'm waiting for the right call, the right woman. I'm waiting. God will send that person sometime. (laughs) No, no, no. When God opens the door, you've got to take it. You've got to move. You've got to have the courage to step in and obey the unction of the Holy Spirit when you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking. God will bring you back. He will give you another chance. But sometimes that circle could be 40 years. Do you want to die in the wilderness defeated? Or do you want to make haste to listen and obey the the unction of the Holy Spirit and His Word in our lives. There will be moments where you need to say, I'm going to take this, I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to move in. And it will require faith, and it will require courage, and it is scary. Last week I said, we spoke about the battle belonging to God. But God would always first bring the army out. Nowhere do I read that David and his soldiers were chilling at home next to a pool and a jacuzzi while God was doing the battles out there. They had to get dressed in their armor. They had to march out to the battlefield. They had to stand ready for battle. And even the day before, they didn't know what would happen. They would say, God, must we fight? And then God would say, the battle is mine. And part of that is realizing we're fighting God's battle. That means we have to see it for what it is. Respect the battle that God is calling us into because it's God's battle. It's not your battle. Joseph, when he was in prison, he was fighting God's battle. And he knew it. He knew he was called to greatness. He knew he was called to fight God's battle. Is that good? A victorious person does two things. Instead of whimpering in the corner and scratching eyes out, a victorious person has the ability to learn and the victorious person has the ability to teach. It's amazing how, for instance, when Daniel went to Babylon, the first thing he did is he learned everything about their culture. He learned everything about the Babylonians everything and he became like them in the he he became as good as a babylonian in fact better 
than a Babylonian at doing Babylonian things. Does that make sense? <laughs> they became the top students. Victorious people are always looking to learn. Always looking to listen. That's why their anger is always down there. Because I'm slow to speak, quick to listen. I don't erupt in anger. I don't erupt in defenselessness, hopelessness. Now that's really at the surface. But deep inside, there is a nature like Daniel. There is a nature like Joseph. There is a nature that says, I'm willing to learn. That's the reason that they became the head of their spaces, is they learned and they were able to teach. And in Daniel's own words, um, in in Daniel 9, it says, Those who are wise and who turn many to righteousness shall give forth light like the stars forever and ever. It's also actually saying, Those who are wise will lead many to righteousness. Those who are wise will understand that they've got something to give. They've got something to teach. And they do it because they shine like stars forever and ever. I'm wrapping up one more, because I have to read a New Testament verse, otherwise it's not legal. And uh, <laughs> Matthew 18. Jesus said, truly, verse 18 as well, truly I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit and declare proper must be what is already permitted in heaven. You see, the defeated person is saying, this is not allowed, that's not allowed, this is not allowed, that's not allowed, that's not for me, that's outside of my boundaries, without first asking God if that should be disallowed. Does that make sense? We cut so many things off our lives out of fear, and we haven't gone to God and said, but must I cut that out? <laughs> Does that make sense? Anyone need more explanation on that? Whatever you forbid must be what is already forbidden in heaven. But don't cut things out of your life because you're afraid, because you're defeated. Look to God. Look to what He's saying and cut it out because He has already cut it out. Hello? Then, if something is already declared awesome for your life, if something has already been given to you, then... Declare it proper. Take it. Go for it. Because God has already declared it. People who are defeated ask, but where in the Bible does it say? Why? Because they're trying to obey a command and they're not obeying the heart of God. If they understood the heart of God, they will already be declaring what is proper because they understand that it's proper in heaven. And they'll already be declaring what is not, like, not right unlawful because they already know they can experience it the bible says one day we won't have to teach each other about who god is because we will all know and that really is our mission and our vision not just to have people free of their sins but to have the world know in you know instinctively like this who god is what he is what he wants for us and what he doesn't want for us without confusion they will all know.
That's a promise from God. That's what our vision and our mission really is as a church, is to bring us to a place where our entire community, our entire city, instinctively knows who God is. But even in this church, there are some who don't know, some who are still waiting for commands, who are still subjecting themselves to fear, who still feel defeatist. God wants to bring us into victory. It says, again I tell you, say that with me, again I tell you. All right, say it again, again I tell you. Okay, can I do it again? If two of you on earth agree, if you harmonize, this is the, the amplified, if you make a, sympath, a, a symphony, I nearly said if you have sympathy together, no, if you harmonize and you make a symphony together about whatever or about anything and about everything that they may ask, it will come to pass. Come on, God is calling us to harmony and to symphony so that what comes out of us is the very nature of God and we know it like a well-tuned orchestra. See, what happens when God's presence is in the house is people become harmonized. People become part of the symphony. And that's how God's presence really is together really is in this place. And then in symphony, in harmony, it says, I mean, this is Jesus' words. It says, you can ask God whatever. Say with me, whatever. Okay. If in case you don't know, the Amplified Bible explains it. It says, anything. Say anything. And everything. Come on. Whatever, anything, everything. These aren't Daniel's words. This is straight out of the Amplified Bible. It says, and it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whatever two or three, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, and then it's in capitals, there I am in the midst of, of them. Can I say that again? There I am in the midst of them. I want to ask you today, what have you been too afraid to ask for? What have you been too afraid to press in for? What have you thought is outside of your electric fence? Outside of your boundaries? outside of the goodness of God, outside of your portion. God says, when you tap into my nature, you can ask me anything. And it will be done. As long as it's asked in harmony with those around you, and it's asked in harmony with the very nature of God and His presence. Is that a good word? Are we moving from defeated to victorious? Amen. Amen. Come on, God, let's just, let's just stand.